in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm preaching today on who we are in Christ, our identity uh, in Christ. Thank you, Tony. And um, I'd like us to start by looking at uh, some pictures. Um, Ash, could you put up one of the first pictures, please? Anybody know what this is? It's called a sinkhole. There, there was a road, and, and, and now there's a sinkhole. Um, next one. There's another sinkhole. There was a field, and then it caved in. Next one. There was a parking bay. Now there's a garage. <laughs> Next one. Next. Next one, Ash. Are there any more? There we go. I think that's the last one. So these pictures that I've shown you are, are sinkholes. And um, sinkholes is what happens when the surface collapses into a cavity or a hole that has developed beneath the surface. I, I googled why they happen and how they happen. And Google said sometimes a sinkhole may seem to have appeared overnight. However, many of them develop over many years. They develop long before any surface evidence is visible. Essentially, sinkholes are what people see on the ground surface due to a hole in the rock below. And they can and there will be sinkholes, not only in our roads and our parking lots or in our homes, but in our lives as well, unless we build our lives on the rock, on the truth, on the word of God. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. amending some of my notes here because um, Ash has opened all my toggles and uh, there we go oh. oh please that'll be really helpful thanks there's lots of sugar on the on the table and uh, I'm trying to decide whether to preach or lick the table you know <laughs> thank you so We've been preaching about identity, who we are. And um, all of us build our lives on something. Um, the world is full of self-help advice, self-care, self-worth, teaching us to, that, 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 that we are good and strong and beautiful and that we must, we must express ourselves and we must be who we are. Um, there was a Greek philosopher, and I'd like to say that he was right, but he was wrong. His name was Aristotle. Anyone heard of him? And he said, we are what we repeatedly do. We are what we repeatedly do. 
And what he meant by that is, if we continue to lie, we are liars. If we continue to fill in the gap, if, if we continue to eat slap chips, we are slap chip eaters. But the Bible tells us differently to Aristotle. The Bible's view is that we do what we are. And also, we do what we think we are. The Bible says in Proverbs 2, 23 verse 7, as a man thinks in his heart, in other words, what he thinks he is, he is. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And so it's clear that as we decide to build our lives on something, we can become trapped or limited by our thinking or by our lack of thinking, our ignorance, by what we believe or what we don't believe. And we might actually be something, but not know that we are. And because we don't know that we are, we don't live it out. Does that make sense? Do you remember the story of little uh, David Rockefeller Jr. Growing up thinking he was poor, but actually he was a billionaire. I'm sure he started buying more sweets after that. And I, I, as I was praying into this, I, I, I saw these, these uh, two examples. The one is um, a circus will take a baby elephant and will put a chain around its leg. And uh, the other end of the chain, they'll put a peg in it and nail the peg into the floor. And the baby elephant doesn't want to stand still, but he tries to pull the peg out and, and he can't because he's a baby elephant. And so he starts to think, okay... I'm chained to this peg. Whenever I'm chained to this peg, I'm stuck. And when he grows up into a big elephant that could easily pull the peg out because he doesn't realize who he is, he just stays wherever the peg is, wherever the chain holds him. There's another example in nature of a similar thing. Do you know that fleas can jump very high? I think they can jump a few meters high. But if you take those fleas and you put them in a jar and you put a lid on the jar, what happens is the fleas jump and hit their head on the lid. And so you, it's kind of like popcorn at the beginning. But then they realize, oh no, hold on, I don't really like this hitting my head on the, on the lid. And so they start to jump just below the lid. And if you leave them there for a while, and then you take the lid off, all the fleas will be jumping just below the lid with no lid. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to put a lid on us. He wants to put a chain on our leg and to convince us that we can only be one way and we can only do certain things because of who we are and our identity is who we think we are our identity is actually who we really are and and then if we have a true view of our identity then we know who we really are and our identity is like the foundation that we build our life on. We build our relationships, our careers, and actually we even build our eternities based on who we think we are. And now there are, there are two ways or, or, or two types of foundation. There, there are two ways of, of dealing with our identity. Rock and sand. 
I, I'm, I'm just doing an introduction. I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere if it feels confusing. This is not a philosophy lesson. Rock and sand. Truth and lies. And we can, we can build our identity on either one. We can build our identity on the sand, on, on lies, on the wisdom of this world, on the priorities of this world, the values, the ways, the paths of the world. The world will tell you, like I said, that you're good and you're beautiful and you just need to express yourself, that, that you can choose what your identity is, that you know best and that you can find the truth within yourself and that if you're positive, you can do anything, you can accomplish anything. Or we can build on the rock, on the truth, on the wisdom of God, on His Word, on who He says we are, and on what He tells us our priorities and values and ways and paths should be. And so to bring it back to the sinkholes, if we build on the sand, we will develop sinkholes in our life. And parts of our life will collapse. And it will be very destructive for us and for those who we're in relationship with or who we're in family with or church with. And it will end up being very painful and very costly. And so what we want to do today is we want to see who and what does the Bible say that we are? Who or what does God say that we are? Now the Bible says that we were something in the past, a certain way that we, we were a certain condition, a certain state or status. And, and some people, the Bible says, will always remain that way. And I'm going to describe what that is in a second. But the Bible says that then God did something in Jesus, in Christ, through Christ, to radically change how we were. And the Bible says that if we believe in Him, in His Word, that we can be radically changed. And today we're going to look in detail at what we were and what Jesus did and at who we can now be. Is that okay? So, what does the Bible say about who and what we were? We're going to look at the book of Ephesians together today. And we're going to start in chapter 2. Actually, if you can put up verse 1 to 3. And I'm going to go through this quite quickly because there just isn't time to go into a lot of detail on it. But I'm going to show you how the book of Ephesians, and what you can do is, this week, you can take the book of Ephesians, and you can read through it. I'd love to show you my book of Ephesians. There's every different kind of color you can imagine in there. Um, uh, Richard van der Reit would have been very proud of me. So, who were we? Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were, here's the first one, dead in the transgressions and sins in which you once walked. So the first part of your identity is you were dead. Encouraged? The second one, it continues and it says, following the course of this world. So you were dead and you were following in a particular path, which is the world's way. And then it says, you weren't just following the world, but it continues following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work. So we were following Satan. Dead, following the world, following Satan. 
who is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The Bible says we were disobedient to God. Now, you know, the world says there is no God. There is no authority above me. There's no obedience or disobedience. I just choose how I want to live, and what's right for me is right for me, and right for you is right for you. The Bible says, no, the state you were in was in a state of disobedience to God, among whom we all once lived, and here's the next part of our status, in the passions of our flesh. So whatever the flesh wanted, and now the flesh, we've said before, isn't just the body, it's the sinful nature. Right? And, and we followed the passions of the flesh. And the devil will lie to you and say, you will always have to follow the passions of the flesh. You can't break free from that. It's a lie. We'll get to that. And then it continues, and it says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, whatever we were tempted to do by our body, or whatever we were tempted to think in our minds, whether it was I won't detail any further. We just followed after it. We carried it out. And then the Bible says, as a result of our death and disobedience and following the wrong way and, and following the flesh and following and carrying out these passions, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Whose wrath? God's wrath. You say, God isn't angry. The Bible says, He's angry. And in this status, this identity that we all were once in, we were under the wrath of God. It continues now in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 12. And it says, remember that at that time, that you were at that time separated from Christ. That's the next part of your identity. Christ was on one hand and we were on the other hand. We were not together with Christ or with Christ or in Christ or seated with Christ. We were separate from Christ. It continues, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, which means in English, we were separate from, alienated. We were not part of the people of God. Because God chose a people called Israel, not Israel the state, Israel the uh, descendants of Abraham, those who would believe in God, who had the faith of Abraham. That's the Israel that he's talking about. And in that previous state, we were not part of it. And it continues, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I will be your God, and I will bless you as your God, and I will care for you, and I will provide for you. And, and he covenanted with Abraham, if you would obey me, like Tanya says, if you will abide in me, and I in you, right? Then ask whatever you wish. God had made promises and entered into covenants with Abraham. And in our state, we were separate, strangers to that. We weren't included. We were left out. Like when I played five-a-side football last night, all the captains were picking, and they picked George first, and, you know, Rowan next, and, and there I was standing. Strangers. Until I got picked by Bassie and his team. Denzel and his team. Yeah, we were a great team. And the Bible continues. It says, not only were you a stranger, but you were also have, you had no hope. Isn't it getting good now, Francois? Does this sound like a, a, a nice identity? We had no hope. The Bible says we were without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off. That's the next part of our identity. We were not close to God. We were not in God. We weren't even near Him. We were far away from Him. We were without God and without hope. And the Bible says that we were, we were separate from Israel, and it continues and says, 
We've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We're going to get to that. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. In other words, there were two, right? There were the people of God, the chosen, the promised, the covenant. There were two, but we were separated from the right side. We were apart from God and his people behind what it calls he's broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, Right? So there was a hostility. Anyone remember before, um, uh, I don't know my history very well, someone will have to help me. There was a wall in the middle of Germany. The Berlin Wall. And it's, it divided Eastern Germany and Western Germany. And East Germany was communist and West Germany was? I don't even know. You should learn your history, Lucas. Was it capitalist? Okay. I'll take your word for it. That's not part of my preaching. I'm not teaching it because I don't know. But there was hostility. And I, I've seen photos of some people trying to cross from one side to another, and the police would come and pull them down, and they wouldn't let them. And, and there was this hostility. There was, there was animosity. And the Bible says that there was hostility between us where we were in our status and and God and there was hostility between us and the people of God there was a separation a dividing wall and then the Bible says that we were trapped under the law of commandments expressed in ordinances can you can you see it there it says um, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances because we couldn't obey the commands, we were trapped. The Bible says, for those who sin, the punishment, the wages of sin is death. Right? And it doesn't have to be a big one. Think about a bucket at the end of a chain. And the chain has got some huge links and some tiny links. How many links needs to fall for the bucket to fall? How many links needs to break? Sorry. One. Does it have to be a big one or will a small one do? And the Bible says all of us had broken the law of God. And so we were trapped. And then it goes on. And it says that we were at odds. We were enemies. We were hostile. We were in conflict with God. And then it says, so Jesus made peace that he might reconcile us back to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And so there was a, there, we were enemies of God. And we were far off, and we were strangers and aliens. And then we go, we continue, because Ephesians is a very happy book, to chapter 4. And chapter 4 from verse 14 says, So that we may no longer be children, so, so we may no longer, so, so Christ has done something so that we wouldn't be children. But in that status, we were like children tossed to and fro by the waves. We were not stable, we were not secure. We were like the world currently is, because remember, we said at the beginning that some people will always remain in, in the original state. So, so we, if you look at the media, you look at, at, at the world in general, politics, people are blown about by all sorts of ideologies. They are all fighting for something. Some are fighting for the nation of Israel. Some are fighting for Hamas. Some are fighting for um, uh, liberals. Others are fighting for, for Republicans. I mean, some are for the ANC. Some are for the EFF. Some are for the DA. Some are for the ACDP. I mean, it's everyone has got their thing that they are attaching their life to. But we were confused. We were tossed, and, uh, uh, tossed to and fro by the waves. And it says we were carried about by every wind of doctrine. In other words, we were hearing one thing about how to live a good life and believing it. And then hearing another one. And we were persuaded by that. And the Bible says we were carried about by human 
cunning, by the philosophies of man. It's amazing having children that are studying history and philosophy at school. And you read everybody from Plato to everybody had a view about how to please the gods or who, which god was a god. And that's continued to our generation now. There's, there's the, the wisdom of man telling you, listen, you can choose to be any gender you want. And then they want to teach that to our children in the schools now and let children decide on things before they're 12 years old without the parents' input. The Bible says that we were carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. And then it says, now I say and I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk the way the Gentiles do. So in the previous state, we were walking a certain way. We were just like everyone else in the world. The Bible says, in the futility of their minds. In other words, they were thinking things, but their thoughts were futile. Their thoughts were weak. They were empty. They were broken, but they were trying to build their lives upon those thoughts. The Bible says they are darkened in their understanding. It says they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. In other words, in that state, no matter how much we wanted God or the life of God, or the joy of God, or the peace of God that Peter was talking about, we were alienated it because of our ignorance, because we didn't know God. We didn't know the truth. And even if we were told the truth, we didn't want it because of our hardness of heart. Sure. The Bible says they've become callous. Anyone ever played the guitar before? When you start playing, you put your fingers on the strings, and it's amazing for the first 30 seconds. And then the string starts to bite your finger. It digs into your finger. And, and man, it's sore. I remember learning, you know, to play scales and, you know, putting my fingers in my mouth. You know, mm, it's so sore, but I need to try and practice. But then what I realized is over time, as I pressed into those strings more and more, the tips of my fingers became hard and calloused so that the string could no longer affect me. It could no longer hurt me. And the Bible says that our hearts became callous so that even if the word of God was spoken, it would be like landing on the path and then the enemy could just come and pick it up and take it away. Nothing would sink in in that state. The Bible says in that state, it says, we have given, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality. We spoke about that. Sensuality. Every kind of pleasure. Living our lives for every kind of pleasure. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It continues and it says, but that's not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Why are they deceitful desires? Because they're desires that promise us happiness, but they're lies. They promise us fulfillment and joy, but they are empty and poisonous, and designed to kill us. And then it says, therefore having put away falsehood, right? Let each one speak the truth with his neighbor. In our original state, we were full of lies. Full of lies. We wanted people to see us a particular way. And so we... We put a front up, a mask on. We were not walking in the truth, walking in the light with one another. 
And because we were ashamed of our sin and our transgressions and the, our death and our way of life, and our, therefore we hid in the dark. And the Bible says that we were speaking falsehood. We were angry. We gave opportunity to the devil. We stole. There was corrupting talk that came out of our mouths and that we were grieving the Holy Spirit of God by the way that we were living. And the Bible says that, that our lives became full of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. Is it fun? Sound like a good way to live? And it continues, it says, but we were full of sexual immorality. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity. So these are things that were part of that status that we had. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk or crude joking. It's incredible for me how today's world, what's normal, would have been classed as despicable just a few years ago. Foolish talk and crude joking. I was hearing about some of the conversations that happen amongst young people. And, 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 and it's, it's crazy what they are doing. And yet today it's just viewed as that's the culture, that's how we live. And the Bible says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And, and so where we were in that state, we had no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. It continues, let no one deceive you with empty words. The world and, 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 and its prophets and, and, and its proponents, they promise the world, but it's empty. Because, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. And at that time, we were partners with them. The Bible says, you were darkness. <laughs> but now you're light in the Lord. And it says that we were, we were taking part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And we were doing things that are shameful even to speak of. That were done in secret. We were foolish. We were drunk with wine. We were full of debauchery. Please, there needs to be better in chapter 6. Well, the end of chapter 5 and 6 are the same. Husbands were not loving wives. Wives were not respecting or submitting to husbands. Children were being disobedient to parents. Fathers were not loving their children, but they were provoking them to anger through the way that they treated them or neglected them. Chapter 6 says that those who were working for others were just doing it as eye service and people pleasers, not from the heart. And masters were mistreating those who worked for them because they were ignoring the fact that they too had a master in heaven. That's a pretty dull picture, isn't it? The Bible says all of us were in that state. That was our identity. Death, disobedience, wrath, filthiness. But the second point is that God has done something in Christ. I read 
a story of two young boys who, uh, they were brothers, and, and they went and they were playing uh, outside. Um, they went to visit a farm somewhere, and they came across sinking sand. Anyone know what sinking sand is? Uh, it's, uh, again, I don't know too much about it, other than when you walk into it, you start sinking. And the more you try to get out, the quicker you sink. And so if you get into sinking sand, you have to just try and keep still so that you stop sinking for a while. Anyway, they were out till late and, and, and they didn't come home and so the parents went to look for them and eventually they found them and they saw the, the, the younger brother in the sinking sand and he was, up, he was in the sinking sand up to his neck and they saw him and they were like, oh my goodness, and they said, where's your brother? And he said, I'm standing on his shoulders. And our older brother, Jesus, saw us in that state. And he decided to climb in and save us. So that we might stand on his shoulders and be saved. Let's read in um, the book of Ephesians. That sad book we just read. Let's read the most beautiful truth together. And it starts in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus. Now, I don't know if you have uh, any idea of what a saint is. I grew up in, in the Greek Orthodox Church, which is quite similar to the Catholic Church. And if you want to become a saint in that context, you have to do some amazing things. You have to die first. Right? There aren't any living saints, according to the Greek or the Catholic Church. You have to die. And you had to have done miracles in your life. You had to have lived a holy life. And once you've died, you have to do a couple more miracles. Right? So people pray to you, and you heal them. Or, um, is it funny, Daniel? And then what happens is, is people in the church hear about it, and then it goes to a bishop who's responsible for the sainting or making of saints. And they have to open an inquiry, and th then there's a whole investigation where they send people to the town where you're buried and stuff, and then they have to ask you to perform another miracle. And then if you do, remember you're dead, if you do, then a recommendation is made back to the Vatican or to wherever, the, the, and, 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 and a decision is, is taken to, to make you a saint. The Paul is... Paul is not writing to those saints. Because the biblical way of becoming a saint is to be in the status that I just described and then to believe in Jesus. That's it. That's miracle enough. Paul doesn't describe them He's writing to the, the, the people who believe in Jesus in Ephesus. Ephesus was like Sodom. I mean, it was a bad place. And everybody was involved in it. The worship in the temple in Ephesus, men would go, they've discovered tunnels between where the library was and brothels. So men would go there, pretending to go and worship and read, and they would go through the tunnel and do other stuff. It was a bad place. And Paul doesn't write to them, to the scoundrels and wicked and dead and sinful. No, he says, to the saints. Saints comes from a, a Greek word. It's the Greek word, agios. Agios means holy 
or separate unto God. And Paul addresses them, and I am addressing you, if you believe in Jesus, as a saint, as a holy one, as a set-apart one to God. The first part of your new identity is saint. And then he continues, who are faithful in Christ? Who of you here have been faithful in your life? Wow. I was not expecting any hands. I haven't been faithful to the Lord. I haven't. Probably not even for a day of my life. But the second part of the identity is that you are faithful in Christ Jesus. And I want to, we're going to go through all the parts of your identity now, but you need to understand that me on my own, before Christ, I'm the first part. I'm that first original identity, and there ain't nothing I can do about it. I'm stuck. I'm in the sinking sand. I cannot pull myself out. But all of these things, from saints to faithful, they all come in Christ. They are all what He was and is, and He now gives that identity to us. Because we are in Him now. Does that make sense? So faithful saints. He says, grace to you. The original status was wrath to you. Now it's grace to you. What is grace? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. So before we were sons of disobedient, now we are sons of grace. And he continues, grace to you and peace from God. Before we were enemies, now we are at peace with God. And then he continues, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Do you see, in Christ, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, so our new status is not separated, it's blessed. Somebody asked me this morning, how are you this morning? I said, blessed. And I knew they had no idea why I said that. Now you know. I am blessed. And then it says, even as He chose us, do you see, in Him again, even as He chose us, the Bible says that we are chosen by God. Chosen, unlike me in the five-a-side football. Unchosen, reserved, Last, God said, Lucas, I'm choosing you. How does it feel when you're chosen? Man, it feels good, especially when you're my age. And then it continues, and it says, chosen before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. We are now holy we are now blameless. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How can I be holy and blameless? Because God chooses to see Christ when he looks at me. Because I'm in Christ. And it continues. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ Jesus. We were orphans. We were enemies. We were separated. We were far off. We, were, we had no God. We had no hope. And he came and he said, come here. I want you to be my son. You know what is so significant about adoption as a son? In this time, in, under Roman law, a father was the head of the family, and he would pass on an inheritance only to the sons, nothing to the daughters. 
But what's interesting is that, so the status was father, then sons, then daughters, then wife. Okay? Ladies at the end, at the bottom. But what's interesting is, if a father, they called him the paterfamilias, was to find somebody else and decide to adopt them as a son, then what happened from the status is it went father, adopted son, sons, daughters, wife. An adopted son could never be unadopted. Does that make sense? A father could cut off his own sons, but once adopted, you could never be unadopted. And you were the first to inherit the inheritance of the family. And so the Bible says that God chose us to be adopted to himself as adopted sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have, and here's the next one, redemption through his blood. What does redemption mean? Anyone know? Redemption means there used to be slave markets in those days. People were, were captured either in war or just, you know, they were taken from their families, put on these ships, brought to Rome, and then they were sold in a slave market. They were lined up. They would come, people would come and check your teeth and check your, you know, how strong is this slave? And so what they would do is then they would bid to buy the slaves. And that was called redeeming a slave, buying a slave. And what God did is he bought us back from the slavery in which we were to sin. And he made us sons in his house. Through his blood, redemption through his blood. What was the cost of that redemption? What was the cost of buying Anton back? Anton, what was the cost? Not Jesus. His blood. The cost of your life was the blood of Jesus. That's why Jesus received all those beatings. You know, the whip with which he was whipped was made out of a, a handle with leather pieces with bones and stones and nails in it. And so every one of those, how many stripes? Anyone know? 39. Is it 39? Every one of those, that whip would go around the leg or the back or the, and it would dig in. And then they would pull it out and flesh would come out and blood came out. And then they took a, a crown of thorns and they jammed it on his head so that blood poured out of his face. And then they nailed him with spikes onto the cross in his hands and in his wrists and in his feet, the place where all the nerves end. And then they raised him up. And then once he had cried out, they drove a spear into his side and blood and water flowed as he died on the cross because the price of our redemption was his blood. Jesus died to buy us back. And it continues, the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's the next part of our identity. We are forgiven. Forgiven. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
No condemnation. No matter what you've done. No matter how many times you've done it. If you hear the truth about Jesus and the price that he paid, you're forgiven. You are forgiven. I think we've run out of time. And so um, we'll continue. We'll continue another time. But um, let's, let's just bow our heads. Lord God, what a good God you are. What a kind God you are. Thank you that your word speaks the truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you show us the state that we were in. Or maybe for some of us, the state that we are in. And thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus to make us accepted and adopted and saints, and sons, and holy, and redeemed. Thank you, Lord.